Lord, as we turn tonight to Lamentations, I I pray tonight that uh, we not approach it as uh, something that would be a, a discouragement to us at all, but Lord, that we would see it as your words. Uh, for our instruction, for our encouragement, um, Lord, for our edification. I pray, Father, tonight you give us a heart for this book and the themes, and Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts exactly as you desire. Father, help me. I most certainly, certainly need that. And Lord, I thank you for it again tonight. Lord, work here tonight now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, welcome. Uh, like I said, I gave you several handouts. One of them is a chart. Uh, go ahead and take that chart, if you would. It says Old Testament books in relation to the Babylonian captivity. Uh, That's something I had put together for myself. I said, you know, let me, let me pretty that up just a little bit and hand it out. It's not pretty, but it might be helpful. Uh, what I've done here is I've given you three columns uh, moving from left to right. They're on a timeline. So uh, books of the Bible that address the period before the Babylonian captivity or before the exile, uh, as it's called sometimes. Uh, Gary, if you want to impress your friends, you can say the pre-exilic books. Uh, Moving across to the center, books written during the captivity. Some of the Psalms in each of these columns also likely belong. Uh, The exilic books. And then all the way over to the right-hand column, Uh, Those books written around the time of the return from the captivity uh, and then pushing out a little bit beyond that, the post-exile or post-exilic books. So uh, I've given this to you tonight because I want to just offer a reminder of where some of the books that we're looking at in our various different meeting times throughout the week fit and also put lamentations in the context of Uh, where we'll begin tonight, and then share some thinking about where we'll go uh, from there in both Sunday school and Wednesday night Bible study. So if you look at that left-hand column there, uh, books written before the captivity, so history books. Uh, We've just finished 2 Kings. Uh, What happened right at the end of 2 Kings, guys? What what happened? Uh, Yeah, the destruction of, of Jerusalem. Uh, and the initiation, um, or really the completion of the, not not the uh, completion of the 70 years, but the completion of the carrying off of the people, right? People are nearly completely carried off into the Babylonian captivity uh, there at the end of 2 Kings. Of course, 2 Chronicles um, will overlap uh, that account um, and also um, span and and address the return as well. well. We'll We'll get to that. Below that are the prophets who write before the Babylonian captivity. And I've given you uh, the prophets there in chronological order, brother, a timeline order of how they wrote uh, from top down to the bottom. So, of course, the the first ones that you see there are the ones who warned uh, the northern tribes, Israel, before they fell to Assyria. When was that? When did the northern tribes fall to Assyria? Was, Was it? 722. Uh, and then um, you see there in blue, I've highlighted it because this has our, been our focus in Sunday school for the last more than a year now. There's Isaiah uh, writing 766, 90, there we go, so, something like that, uh, focusing primarily at least on Judah. Uh, maybe not exclusively, but writing primarily 
uh, to Judah. So there's, our, there's Isaiah, the focus of our Sunday school hour. Uh, if you come down through Micah's writing to Judah, warning. Nahum's writing to Judah, warning. Uh, Zephaniah is writing to Judah, warning them. Uh, there's Jeremiah uh, writing to Judah, warning them of the captivity. Habakkuk also. You come up to the top of the middle column, so the captivity has happened now. And that's, of course, where we are tonight. Uh, people of Judah have been carried off to Babylon. Uh, which books address that time? Well, Jeremiah, the last portion of Jeremiah, probably, uh, not probably, chapters 40 uh, through 52 really seem to be written and addressed that time. Uh, Jeremiah warned the people of the captivity. He observes the captivity, and then he reflects on it in the, in the last portion of the book. Uh, and then, of course, he seems to be the author uh, of Lamentations as well, uh, this short uh, poetic book that is uh, a reflection on uh, the captivity, seems to be written by Jeremiah pretty early uh, in the period of the captivity. And so uh, I want to I jump to Jeremiah tonight because he's... He's right there, uh, writing, it would seem to be the case, very early in the captivity. So uh, fits very nicely on the timeline, Brother Ray, that, that we've been progressing through. First Kings, Second Kings, uh, along with that, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Second Chronicles, uh, and then Lamentations. In that same column there, you see that Ezekiel and Daniel uh, are prophets that write during the captivity. You know, of course, that Daniel was carried off to the captivity, uh, seems to write during the captivity. Uh, Ezekiel be the same. Some of the Psalms down at the bottom there would seem to reflect uh, both the, the conquest of Jerusalem and the captivity, and so likely uh, are written around the same time. I read someone's claim this week, by the way, that uh, they asserted that most of the Psalms were probably written during the Babylonian captivity. You see any problems with that? Uh, who wrote most of the Psalms, Brother Andrew? It'd be David, right? Did David live during the time of the Babylonian captivity? No. <laughs> N-O, period. So, you know, you, you read something like that, you have to look at that and say, well, okay, I know better than that. So, you know, if you, as you're learning the Bible and, and getting a basic handle on the timeline and uh, where people fit, you, you could start to assess what you're reading. Yeah, that seems right. No, that's obviously wrong, uh, rather than just accepting everything that you read everywhere as necessarily correct. It's not always the case, uh, as you well know. So uh, Jeremiah uh, completes the book of Jeremiah, seems to write uh, lamentations uh, during this time of the captivity. Um, what I would, what I tentatively plan to do after we finish Lamentations, it, it won't take more than five, six, seven weeks probably, uh, is, to, is to do a study through Ezekiel. I've never done that uh, here in the church. We've, we've really only touched on it a handful of times during my tenure as past, pastor. So I think that would be very helpful, very instructive, and, and really interesting uh, study for us to, to start through. So. Uh, we'll look at Lamentations and then jump into Ezekiel afterwards. We've studied through Daniel. Uh, it has been some years now, but uh, we, we have covered Daniel. And you're welcome to have my notes if you would like to have them. Uh, so let's just quickly look over at the right-hand column. So how long was the captivity? Roughly? 
70 years, 70 years. Uh, so we get to the end of the captivity. Second um, Chronicles 36, I, I have there for you, records the decree of Cyrus the Great. Hey, let these people return back to Jerusalem, allow them, the, the great Persian uh, king, let, let them uh, restore their city, their temple, the walls of the city, issues that de decree. Uh, Ezra uh, eventually travels back with a group of, of returnees, uh, deals with the restoration of the temple. Uh, Nehemiah similarly deals with the restoration of the walls uh, back in Jerusalem. Looks like Esther is probably written between Ezra and Nehemiah. That's probably the case. There's good reasons to, to think that. We won't cover those tonight. Uh, and then the prophets uh, who write around the same time would be uh, Haggai and, and Zechariah. And so as we kind of continue down our timeline here, we'll plan to cover both of them. Uh, and then the final prophet of, of the Old Testament, Malachi, seems to write quite a bit later. So this just gives you kind of a, an understanding of how things flow chronologically uh, on a timeline. This probably isn't the best way to picture it, but hopefully that, that's helpful. Uh, before the captivity, during the captivity, and after the captivity, uh, we are now in that center column uh, and looking at uh, the book of Lamentations, Lamentations. Uh, you have a handout, a two-sided handout, uh, with type that's too small, right? It's too small for my eyes, too, so uh, sorry if it's a little bit of a struggle, but trying to fit a lot onto um, two, two pages or, or one double-sided page. Not going to review all this in detail, but want you to have this and would ask you, would encourage you uh, to read through this. So uh, let's do read that first paragraph together. The Book of Lamentations is a series of five so-called uh, dirge poems. I don't know if you've heard that before or not, but uh, a, a dirge, you, normally you associate that with a funeral, right? So it's a, a, a lament for the loss of someone uh, or, or something. And of course, that, that's exactly what the book of Lamentations is. It is a great lament for the or at the consequence of sin, uh, the physical, emotional, spiritual suffering of the, Judah and the people of Judah uh, as a result of their sin. And Brother Art, I think that uh, what we've seen up to this point is a pretty good description of the physical destruction of Jerusalem, right? There at the end of 2 Kings, uh, look elsewhere and, and, and see more details. But we, we've seen a lot of information, or at least an, an overview, of the physical destruction of Jerusalem and carrying away of the people. When you start moving into the book of Lamentations, you start to appreciate the emotional and spiritual toll that the people suffered in, in the context of uh, Jerusalem being destroyed, the people being carried off. Naturally, we understand that the, 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 the physical destruction of, of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, including the temple, would be incredibly upsetting, emotionally, spiritually, uh, all of that. And so you, you start reading how Jeremiah describes uh, poetically uh, the effect on, on the people, you start to, uh, to get, um, start to feel the, 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 the emotional, spiritual consequences uh, of the sin and the Lord's correction. So uh, we'll see that as we make our way through, through the Book of Lamentations. 
A little bit of information here about the author. Tradition associates it with uh, Jeremiah. There's some biblical reasons uh, to, to view it that way as well. Date, audience, the place. Obviously, it's right around the time of the captivity. So it'll be uh, shortly after 586, uh, Jeremiah's writing to people who are in Babylon, uh, in Babylon. His contemporaries would, would include um, uh, Isaiah, um, Isaiah, um, I think I, I wrote it here, uh, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel is the one I was trying to get out, Ezekiel, uh, all writing around, uh, not exactly, but, but a, around the same time. Um, look at number four there. I use this word Christology, or how, does the, how might the book um, relate to or picture Christ? Remember, Christ himself said in, in Luke that uh, the whole Old Testament is about him. It pictures him somehow, some way. And um, as, as you consider, um, as we move through the book of, of Lamentations, um, it will be instructive to be looking at this book like any other Old Testament book, asking the question, how does this book uh, picture Christ? One, one man writes, behind the whole book is a man of sorrows uh, who is acquainted with grief. That idea, of course, comes from Isaiah 53, uh, which we've seen recently in Sunday school, verse 3, he's despised, rejected of men. This is Isaiah's prophecy of, of Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's prophecy of Christ, uh, literal prophecy regarding uh, Christ and, and what he would experience in going to the cross, Brother Ray, as the final complete payment for our sin. Um, much of the language of the book of Lamentations is uh, consistent with, with that one verse in terms of portraying uh, Jerusalem, uh, Judah more broadly, there we go, uh, the Judeans, the people of Judah, the same way. And so it's just very interesting how um, the language would portray the place and the people as a, a suffering servant, much the same way that Isaiah portrays Christ that way. So um, we're not implying that the captivity didn't happen, that it was only sort of a poetic thing in the literature of the Old Testament, but it is very interesting how the poetry of Lamentations um, does portray the place and the people and their suffering in a way that hints at, alludes to uh, the suffering of Christ as well. That's something to be thinking about and uh, sort of be on the lookout as we go forward. Um, the bottom of the first page there, my numbering system broke, forgive me for that. It should say five, but it says two. Um, there's some interesting things to be aware of, and I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on this tonight, but um, th this book is a, it's a poetry book. It's as much a poetry book as uh, the Psalms are. It has some very interesting poetic devices, literary devices in the book, some of which we'll be able to see as we go through, uh, and some of them that we can't see because they can only be seen uh, in the Hebrew. Zach, we've talked um, in the past a little bit about these acrostics in the Hebrew. So um, there, there are Psalms, for example, where each verse will begin with uh, a letter in alphabetical order in the Hebrew alphabet, from Aleph, the first letter, uh, to Ta or Toph, the, the last letter makes the T sound. 
Uh, if it was English, you'd have a verse beginning with A and a verse beginning with B and a verse beginning with C all the way through Z. Uh, the Lord uses that same structure in the original Hebrew um, of this book. Chapter one is 22 verses, there's 22 Hebrew consonants. Chapter three, the same thing. Chapter four, the same thing. Chapter five, uh, well, similar. Chapter five breaks that structure. It, it doesn't do that, um, uh, which is interesting. There, there might be some good reasons for that. So um, on the back side of the page, I have just a, a quick little thing here. Why might the Lord use these Hebrew acrostics? What's the, what's the purpose? What's the value uh, of, of writing it that way? And just give you three quick ideas here to consider. One, we've talked about this one before, they're probably intended to aid memorization. So if you were trying to commit, if you were a Hebrew speaker in Jeremiah's day, picture yourself, Brother Ray, there in the, in the captivity and you're, you're receiving these words understanding that they're God's words and you probably are gonna be concerned about having or not having a copy of them. And so memorization would be a thing. Uh, so knowing that you're gonna have in each chapter 22 verses uh, with each verse beginning with the next Hebrew letter would be an aid to memory. Now, by the way, I know that the chapter and verse numbers came later, but nonetheless, this would be an aid to memorization. Uh, probably one of the ideas. How about this? This is a little bit more poetic. Number two, they may com convey, there we go, the completeness with which the Lord has covered the theme. The theme will be the suffering of God's people as a result of their sin. Um, and Rich, uh, you'll see in each chapter, it's literally uh, an Aleph to Ta or an A to Z coverage of the theme within each chapter. So there may be this more poetic idea that the Lord is uh, trying to convey, hey, he's, he's really trying to paint a very complete picture of the suffering of his people as a result of their sin. Zach, what would be God's reason for that? Why would, he, why would he want to paint out this very complete, like, you know, 3D picture uh, with A to Z uh, elements of, of, of their stuff? Why would God want that to be on paper? What would be the value of that for those people uh, and for us today? To teach the lesson, yeah, sin has consequences, not just the physical consequences of the destruction of Jerusalem, but this incredibly heavy, sorrowful, uh, spiritual and emotional suffering uh, that, that flows out of that. And so, yeah, this, this might be the idea. The Lord wants them to, to just get this from every perspective, A to Z, Aleph to Ta, uh, might, might be the idea. Um, Someone else has suggested that, um, by the way, writing poetry like this would be very difficult, right? Uh, every line is going to start with the next letter of the alphabet. That, that would not be an easy thing. But who is the source or the writer of this material? Is it Jeremiah or is it somebody else? It's the Lord, right? It's the Lord. So um, this, um, this amazing poetry, the structure and all the elements that make this poetry so incredible, um, it, it points to the awesome power and artistry um, of the Lord. 
Brother Art, I don't think it's wrong at all to characterize the Lord as an amazing artist. He designed creation. Uh, he, he painted out the heavens. He painted out all of his creation uh, with, with great majesty and, and beauty. We see that. We look out the window. Uh, we took a long walk this morning, and it was just beautiful uh, from beginning to end. The birds, we saw deer. It was, just, it was just beautiful, and you just can't help but be reminded of the Lord when you see these things. Uh, so, yeah, the, the power, majesty, the artistry of, of the Lord uh, might be brought out in this as well. Um, I have a note here, I think. I thought I included a note. Um, oh, yeah, I think I mentioned this already. Um, chapter 5 also has 22 verses, one, one verse for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but it does not use this acrostic device. All the other chapters in the book do that, but chapter 5 doesn't. And so people wonder, why, why would that be? What would, what would be the reason for this? And I summarize some of the thinking about this at the bottom of the first page, bottom of the front page. I wrote here, this break from the acrostic structure may also be a literary device or poetic device. That is, the disrupted structure of the book pictures the disrupted state of Jerusalem. Uh, that's not my idea. Brother Garcia, I wish I, I recognized that and wrote that, but I didn't. I didn't. Um, that is, if that's right, um, that is just uh, pointing more to the incredible artistic, poetic power of the Lord. He's got this amazing structure, and then he breaks it as a picture of the brokenness of Judah and the brokenness of the people as a result of their sin. Uh, I think that's probably right. It feels right to me. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, 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 that's, that's right. Uh, and so that's, it's just an amazing um, illustration of the Lord's um, artistic, poetic power uh, as he's doing this. By the way, does the Lord have to use this amazing poetry and artistry to convey his words? Would they have power without this wonderful, beautiful, poetic structure and artistry? Carolyn, the majority of God's words don't use this type of structure, right? And, and we know they have great power without that. But this just, just speaks to the power, majesty, poetry, artistry of the Lord. We'll see lots of other poetic devices as we go through the book. Um, on the back side, I give you an outline, themes of the five chapters. They're basically five independent poems or dirges uh, that, that convey related themes. A mourning widow, a weeping daughter, an afflicted man, tarnished gold, a fatherless child. Judah uh, being pictured in all of these different ways poetically. Uh, as a result, uh, as a result of her sin. Now, um, Zach, you said the Lord would spend so much time here and, and um, give us these these dirges for. I think you said some. Did you say for our instruction, for their instruction, and, and for our? It's warning, right? Uh, it was it was instruction for God's people. Hey, sure enough, uh, you've suffered physically. Now you're suffering emotionally and spiritually. Uh, you need to get right, right? So this, this would be the purpose of a book like this in, in the days of Jeremiah in the captivity. But of course, it's a warning for us too, right? As we look back here and see the physical, the emotional, the uh, spiritual suffering of the people, 
uh, riches, it's a warning for us also. Don't stray too far from the Lord. When the Holy Spirit starts knocking on your heart and convicting you, uh, don't resist that. There, there's great consequences. It's not, uh, it, it might not just be, you know, a little physical trial or a little bit of this or a little bit of that. It might be this sort of multi-headed monster of a trial that has physical, spiritual, and emotional components. It might be, uh, you know, not the literal Babylonian captivity, but something that has all the same consequences in your life. It checks all the same boxes uh, in terms of the severity of, of the trial. Now, it's painting out the problem. Brother Ray, one of the things that I like about problems is that um, if you allow it, problems also point to solutions or invite us to look for solutions. Who is the solution or what is the solution to the problem of the captivity? Zach, what's the solution to the problem of the captivity? Why are they there? Sin. What's the solution? Repentance toward God. Um, and ultimately, it's Christ that makes their forgiveness possible. Think about this. Um, Isaiah has been warning about the captivity. People are in the captivity now. But Isaiah was also prophesying and promising the millennial reign of Christ, Brother Art, and all the blessings that went along with it. Uh, we've, we've been seeing these in the final six or seven chapters of Isaiah in, in Sunday school. So he's warning and then making promises to the same people. The people who are in the captivity, they're there because of sin. They're there because of their refusal to repent. But if they'll repent those same people be present in the millennium uh, with us. Same people that were the initial recipients of these five dirge poems uh, reflecting on and pointing to all the emotional and spiritual burden of, of that came with their sin. Um, if they repented, some of them were allowed to return back home to rebuild Jerusalem, and um, they'll be present uh, with us, Brother Ray, uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, their Messiah. So um, I'm going to try to keep coming back to that, that wonderful truth. These are pretty heavy-hearted poems, but they, they paint out a problem that demands that the recipient be searching for, seeking out the answer. The answer is Christ. And so I want to I want us to always be kind of bringing it back to that as we move through uh, and as we come to the end of each chapter. The answer to the problem that we see here uh, is Christ. Let's, let's allow it to point us uh, continually to Christ. Uh, that's a long introduction, but I think it's, it's important. Uh, lamentations, lamentations. Uh, chapter 1, Lamentations chapter 1, Jerusalem is destroyed here, uh, and uh, Jeremiah, at least we think it's Jeremiah, I'm going to say Jeremiah, we assume it's him, uh, he, paints, he paints this picture of Judah as a woman uh, who is mourning. You will see here also some really um, direct and maybe unexpected language. Uh, she's pictured as a, the 
Judah pictured as a woman who was mourning. But Brother Ray, she's also pictured as a prostitute, someone who has been uh, unfaithful and allowed her unfaithfulness to carry her away into terrible sin. Uh, someone who has been idolatrous and who has prostituted herself with um, those whom she should not have. And so uh, that goes back to the idea of their idolatry, uh, their literal idolatry being a picture of their spiritual adultery. Uh, see here, verse 1, how doth the city sit solitary? Uh, Jeremiah writes under inspiration, uh, looking upon destroyed Jerusalem. How doth the city sit solitary uh, that was full of people? Uh, th this was the capstone of, of, of nations, Jerusalem. It was filled with people, people coming and people going, commerce, uh, faith, worship being carried out. Uh, yes, idolatry also. It was full of people, uh, and now it is emptied out. It was blessed, and now it's suffering. Uh, how has she become as a widow? So there's a, a simile using like or as, uh, one of the Lord's poetic devices. How has she become as a widow? Uh, one who had, in a sense, been uh, the husband of, of the Lord, but who is now uh, no longer in a close relationship with him. She's pictured uh, as a widow, one who was blessed, but who is now struggling and suffering with the loss of, of blessing. Uh, she that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how has she become tributary? Uh, tributary is one who pays tribute or perhaps one who works as a slave. Uh, of course, the people were carried off into captivity and some at least uh, would have uh, become servants in, in Babylon. It seems like that would not have been the case for all <laughs> and, and certainly not forever. Uh, some of the people stayed behind because it seemed like they were quite content there, Brother Ray, uh, eventually, but uh, certainly not immediately. They, they, they were ripped up from the roots of their lives uh, and, and dragged off to a, a foreign place. Uh, paying tribute or serving as slaves is the illustration here. Um, moving into verse, uh, verses 2 and 3, Jeremiah does picture the sorrow of Jerusalem and Judah uh, as an adulterous woman who uh, mourns the loss of the relationships that she had, probably uh, her husband, uh, but then also the loss of relationships with whomever she was committing adultery with. Now, uh, for, for the people of Judah, spiritually, her husband would be the Lord, of course. He's the, uh, the bridegroom of, of the bride. Uh, the, the, the rest of the relationships would be the, the false gods or, or perhaps leaders of the false religions that they committed spiritual adultery with. Um, here's the language. She weepeth sore uh, in the night. So there's weeping uh, and lamenting. Uh, you'll see language as we go through the book, affliction and bitterness, desolate, words like sorrow and mourn or mourning uh, and misery and sigh, sighs and sigheth, uh, words of, of lamenting and sorrow. Uh, I think first, Brother Gary, at the consequence of sin. I think uh, you, you watch for this and kind of evaluate this with me. I think initially, uh, Brother Ray, Jeremiah is, is, is describing a people who are sorrowing 
at the consequence of sin more than they're sorrowing at the fact that their sin has offended their God and broken their relationship with him. Those are two very different things, right? You find yourself in a place where you're being corrected. Uh, you could mourn the correction. Oh, this is terrible. This stinks. This is hard. Uh, but if you know you're being corrected for disobedience to the Lord, you ought to be more concerned about the fact you've been disobedient to the Lord uh, and uh, affected, uh, harmed your relationship with him as a result of that. That would be a, a far greater reason to sorrow than to just sorrow or lament over the consequences uh, of the trial. I think at first, they're, they're sorrowing at, the, at the, the consequences of, of the trial. She weepeth sore in the night, verse 2, her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become uh, her enemies. Now, that's poetic language, but it's poetic language that uh, pictures the situation uh, pretty well. Uh, the bride uh, of the bridegroom has been adulterous, uh, and in the end, her relationship with everyone has been affected terribly uh, as a result of that. Now, verse 3 is a little bit of a parenthesis, uh, I think. It points to um, one of the reasons for the captivity that we don't emphasize enough probably. Certainly the sort of the, the bold, underlying, highlighted reason would be their idolatry, their uh, turning from their first love, the Lord, to false gods. But um, there's other reasons that the Bible does um, point to, uh, and verse 3 points to the reason of their mistreatment uh, of some of the people in Judah over time. Uh, you'll recall that um, people uh, sometimes served as servants, uh, but were required under the law to be liberated from their servitude when? Do you, do you remember when that would be? There was a year it had a name. The Jubilee year, right. So a number of things happened then, but uh, one of the things that was required in the law is people, people would be liberated from their servitude and, and would live out uh, a life of liberty from, from that point on. Um, the book here um, points to, um, and there's other places we could look, Jeremiah does, uh, back in the book of Jeremiah, um, examples of times when people should have been liberated uh, evidently at the Jubilee year, but weren't. They were treated unjustly. So uh, there is this sin of injustice toward brothers and sisters who occupied lower levels in society that the Lord calls them out for. So that's a sin against it's a vertical sin against other people in Judah, but because it's a sin, it's a sin vertically, uh, horizontally, and then vertically, because it's a violation of God's word. So this would be the idea here in verse 3. Judah has gone into captivity because uh, of affliction, because of great servitude. Uh, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her. Uh, between the straits. So there's this affliction and uh, servitude, this uh, retaining people in servitude and affliction beyond what the law allowed. And I just encourage you to make a note here. We, don't, we won't do it now tonight, but make a note to look back at Jeremiah chapter 34, beginning around verse 12 or 13. He paints out uh, a specific example of a time where people were reminded of this duty under the law 
and said that this would be the case, and, and then it wasn't. And Jeremiah said, well, you'll, you're going to suffer consequences as a result of this. And so what he's doing here in his second book, Lamentations, is reminding them, hey, we warned you that there will be consequences for sin and for specific sins. There'll be specific consequences. Uh, and sure enough, here, here we are. You, you, you didn't repent, uh, and so now you're suffering the consequences. Rich, I don't think he's going, na 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 it's not, it's not mean-spirited or anything like that. It's just, hey, you were warned. You chose not to heed the warning, and now, sure enough, you are suffering the consequences. You have a thought. Yeah. Well, you might, you, you, you might see similar themes and uh, similar themes of, of injustice. Yeah, certainly you, you might see similar themes, brother. Um, and I don't think that would be, that would be wrong. Uh, I certainly think that we could look into the Old Testament and different places in the New Testament and see that we are called to treat one another justly, right? And, and certainly we are. And when we don't, that, that's sinful. Uh, that that certainly is sinful. So right, I agree that there's a there's a principle there that believers today should be applying to each other in their dealings with with each other. If I have a business uh, or hire, and I, in the past I've managed businesses and hired people and always tried to treat them justly, whatever that meant. Better than that was always my goal. Um, yeah, we certainly in our individual dealings with each other, we we want to take these principles and apply them. So yeah, I. I, I I don't disagree with that. Let's move on, please. Uh, verse 4, um, there's another metaphor here. So we have this simile uh, where he uses like or as, and then a metaphor, which he just starts describing something. He's, he's painting a picture of something that is like this thing over here. doesn't use like or as. You have to look a little harder to see that this is, this is poetry, but uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Verse 4, he says, the ways of Zion... Uh, or the roads of Jerusalem, or the Judah, the roads leading to Judah, Jerusalem is probably what's in view here. Uh, the ways of Zion, or the roads to Jerusalem, do mourn, they lament. Now, I don't know, Brother Art, you, you drove down tonight from Beacon Falls, you came down Route 8. Was the, was the highway lamenting? Did, was it crying? No, not, not literally. It probably has plenty to lament if it could, right? Uh, so we're personifying a physical thing here. This poetry, the ways of Zion, uh, the roads to Jerusalem do mourn. They're, they're, they're crying, they're lamenting, they're mourning. Uh, because none come to the solemn feasts. Uh, none, none are pouring into Jerusalem for the worship uh, that the Lord has prescribed in his words. All her gates are desolate. The temple gates uh, have been destroyed together with the temple. Uh, her priests sigh. Uh, her virgins, her young women are afflicted, uh, and she is in bitterness. Uh, there in one verse you have the word mourn and desolate and sigh and afflicted uh, and bitterness. You think there's a theme here that, that the Lord is having um, 
Jeremiah to bring out. Yeah, it's it's not just the physical toll uh, of of their sin that that he would have us to see. He wants us to understand uh, the emotional, uh, psychological, if you prefer, I don't prefer, but emotional, psychological, spiritual burden uh, that, that, that is um, the trial of the consequence of sin. Not just physical suffering. They're suffering in any, every way uh, they possibly, possibly could. Uh, here you have uh, personification and, and metaphor, the Lord's wonderful uh, poetry. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, the enemies of God's people are now in charge and, and prospering uh, while Judah suffered. Brother Ray, in the past, God was blessing the people. Uh, they, they had a high and lofty place uh, amongst the nations, and the Lord was blessing them. And now uh, they're in this low, depressed place in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, and their enemies uh, are ruling above them. Verse 5, her adversaries, who's, who's the her? Uh, Jerusalem and maybe Judah more broadly are, are the chief. Uh, the underlying word is uh, rosh in Hebrew. It means head chief or top. Mrs. Hammond probably remembers that from our my past Hebrew flashcards. Head chief or top. Brother Ray, it's someone who has authority. Uh, they're, they're, they're in charge. They're, they're the chief. They're the top of the org chart, if, if you will. Uh, Judah's adversaries are now the chief, the Rosh. Uh, her enemies prosper. Uh, look at the next phrase, please. Why is this? Well, we know it's their sin, but we also know, we see here, we're reminded here, it's the active working of God uh, that is behind all of this. He's not just looking away from their sin and saying, well, whatever, do what you, he, no, he's entered into uh, history sovereignly to actively correct his people. Her adversaries are now the chief, her enemies now prosper, why? For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Not just a little thing here and there, this great multitude of transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. Even the children of the people are suffering because of the sins of Judah. Zach, this is not a good time. Is it good in any way, by the way? I agree, but why? Right. Right. I mean, this sounds horrible in, in every way that it possibly could. And yet we know, Gary, as, as you said, it's good because the Lord is actively, lovingly correcting his people. He's giving them that good hard spank that a loving parent will give in love because they know that if they don't, their child will just continue uh, in disobedience and, and, and pull themselves down further and further and further uh, into a life and future of sin and destruction. So this is the Lord's uh, sovereign effort to rescue them from their choices and to pick them up and to set them back on a right path. Brother Ray, some of these people are going to repent uh, and come back and uh, come back as a repentant, faithful uh, people. And so as much as this sounds terrible, in, in a sense it is, it's also terribly good because um, of that. Look at verse 6. And from the daughter of Zion, probably a picture of Judah corporately, 
Uh, all her beauty is departed. She is no longer beautiful. She was, but now she's not. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. What's a heart? A deer? A deer? Like it's a type of deer. An H-A-R-T, not a H-E-A-R-T. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, uh, and they are gone uh, without strength before uh, the purser, the hunter. They can't find a, a pasture uh, where they could find provision and protection, uh, and therefore they're weakened uh, and at risk uh, as, as the hunters uh, approach them. Uh, this is Judah, weakened and in harm's way uh, because the Lord has authored this correction in, in her life. Hearts that find no pasture. Um, was it two weeks back that we looked at Psalm 42 and verse 1? And by the way, uh, I did not say this, but Psalm 42 and verse 1 is viewed by many, um, some at least, as a psalm that, that could well have been written during the tribute, not tribulation, sorry. This is a time of tribulation, but it's not the tribulation period. Uh, dur during the um, captivity, the language would be consistent with that, at least. You think of some of the language that, that we saw there. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Brother Ray, that's the answer. Uh, Jeremiah is describing the people as a heart that finds no pasture, therefore is at risk being captured. Lord says in Psalm 42, 1, which might be written around the same time, as this is the psalmist praying, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. I think there's language there that connects these two um, passages, one being the problem, the other being the answer. Lord, give us hearts for you. Give us hearts to stay close to you, to pant after you. Uh, after the water brooks. Uh, give us hearts for you. Give us hearts to keep short accounts with you. Give us hearts to stay close to you uh, that we don't find ourselves as hearts that find no pasture that are gone without strength before uh, the pursuer. Does the Lord still, on, on this side of the cross, correct his people? Even though your sins are forgiven, yeah, amen. He does because he loves us. Uh, he does because he loves us. Say again, please. You know a little bit about that. You know the love of God, every aspect of it, right? You know this kind of love, right? There's this kind, like pat on the head, and then there's this kind, right? There's, there's both kinds. They're, they're both love. Uh, they're both love. Um, so here's Judah uh, in the captivity. Verse 7, she's longing for the better times, the good old days. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old uh, when her people fell into the hands of the enemy and none did help her. The adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbath. So yeah, there's a lot there. She's, uh, first part of the verse, longing for the good old days. Were they the good old days? Well, there were blessings, but there was also sin that came uh, in the face of blessings. Um, then the people fell into the enemy, and the enemy mocks their, their faith today. So certainly a uh, correction. Um, initially, it seems like Judah is just longing for things to be good again. Brother Art, they're mourning the consequences of their sin, 
rather than mourning the harm to their relationship with the Lord that their sin has caused, and they're desiring things to be like they were in the good old days more than they're desiring a good relationship with the Lord. I think that's, I mean, I, I, Jeremiah doesn't scream that, but you, you look just a little bit under the words that you see here, and boy, that seems to be the case. They're, they're upset that they're in this terrible strait, and they wish things could be the way they used to be, but they're not yet thinking about why are we here and how do we get back to where we, we would like to be? Uh, what's really behind it all? Before the, this first dirge is completed, you see that they, they do finally seem to come to some realization uh, about what, what it's all about. Um, look at verse 8. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. Well, there you go. There's some recognition now of what, what the cause of all of this is. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. In, in, in the Hebrew, it's sinning, they sinned, something like that. Sin, sin. Uh, therefore, she's removed. Uh, all that honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Uh, there's some interesting language there. We could dwell on that for a bit. We won't. Let's, let's continue on. Uh, verse 9, her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end, therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified uh, himself. There's a lot there. The language is not uh, pretty. It's, it's poetic, yes, but it's, it's not a pretty picture uh, that is painted out by these words. Um, she's... Uh, she's one who has revealed her nakedness, uh, and having done that, it is rejected. Uh, she's one in, in verse 9 who seems to have sunk to the very lowest place um, in society. Uh, Dr. Sorensen, who will be here next year, by the way, we've been able to schedule him for next year, Lord willing, he'll be here. He wrote, she's pictured as a streetwalker who lacked even the most basic hygiene, verse 9. Uh, the people of Jerusalem have sunk to the very lowest place uh, that they possibly could, or at least a very low place. That said, look at the middle of verse 9. <laughs> there's, there's a glimmer of hope here. Oh, Lord. So there's a recognition of sin, verse 8, grievous sin, uh, and, and now a turning to the Lord. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified uh, himself. There's a recognition of sin, Brother Ray, uh, at least a hint that they recognize that they've sinned against the Lord and that their suffering that they're in the midst of is a result of that. There's a, there's a hint here of that. In, uh, in that, there's a, there's a glimmer of, of hope, uh, we might say. Uh, verse 10, the adversary spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter uh, into thy congregation. Yep, Lord, look, the Babylonians have come and uh, plundered the temple. Uh, sure enough, that, that did happen. Uh, verse 11, all her people 
sigh. They seek bread. Remember the Babylonians shut off the, the in and out to Jerusalem. There was nothing went in, nothing, nothing came out. They tried to starve the people to weaken them so that they could overrun Jerusalem with, relatively e with relative ease. We saw that back in 2 Kings 25. That's exactly what they did. Jeremiah saw that. He, he comments, all her people sigh. They seek bread. They, they were hungry. Uh, they have given their pleasant things for meat to, re to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider uh, for I am become vile. And it goes on from there. Um, there is a growing recognition in the balance of the chapter, this first dirge, of this is, this is a consequence for our sin. Yeah, we, we get it. Um, there is a growing um, hint, at least, at confession. We are guilty. Uh, and in that hint of repentance, uh, we're guilty, and so we, we repent, we desire to turn from our sin, um, and in that, uh, imploring the Lord for mercy. Brother, let me ask you this. If you recognize that you're in the midst of correction, and you confess, Lord, I, yes, I agree, you've, you've burdened me, I'm guilty, I agree with you, I confess, Lord, I, I repent, I, I turn from this, I turn away from this, I, I want to put off the sin, put on obedience in its place, forsaking the sin. Um, can you reasonably expect God's mercy at that point? Well, it would be consistent with the, the principles of Scripture, right? You, you could reasonably expect the Lord uh, to be merciful um, at that point, that there would be a, a degree of mercy poured into the equation at least. Uh, and so we see that. Uh, we'll have to stop here tonight for time's sake. Um, but I want to ask you, here's, here's your homework. Please read through chapter 1, these 22 verses. Um, we've, we've covered about half of it tonight. I want to ask you to read through the balance of it and be listening for confession, repentance, and on the heels of that, seeking the Lord for to be merciful. Um, that's, a good, that's a good model as we're convicted of sin. Lord, give us hearts to confess, repent, turn away from the sin, forsake it, leave it behind, and to seek you, Lord, for, for mercy. Um, do that, please. Uh, read through um, these 22 verses. Read the second half a couple of times and and look for that. And then, Lord willing, we'll come back next week. We'll, we'll look kind of quickly at the balance of this first chapter and then move into the second chapter. That'll be our plan. Uh, if you have thoughts or comments um, tonight or you know, as we continue to move through the book, please come and, and share them with me. I'll, I'll love it when you come and, and share ideas and um, thoughts. You don't always have to be in 100% agreement. We can, we can have conversations. That, that's okay. But um, I think we'll agree on the broad strokes as we move through uh, this book. Let's stop there and pray. Father, let's, uh, Lord, thank you tonight. Lord, I do thank you, Father, tonight for um, this incredible book. Lord, it, it certainly can be hard to read. Um, that's true. But, Lord, we know tonight that it's in our Bibles because it's important that we have it. And so it's not to be ignored. 
Lord, I pray tonight that uh, this book would round out our understanding of the full breadth, the completeness of the consequences that we can experience when we choose to continue in sin. Lord, I pray as we make our way through this book and you round out the picture of consequences that we would receive this as instruction, as a warning, as encouragement from you to keep short accounts, uh, to be looking to you each day for grace to obey. Lord, we know that we miss the mark at times. We will continue to do that this side of heaven. When we do, give us hearts to confess, to repent, to forsake the sin, not in our own strength, Father, but in yours. Lord, I pray tonight that you give us a heart for these things. Lord, I know tonight that so much preaching focuses on externals without considering the heart. Lord, I know tonight that if our hearts will be right with you, there will be a visible obedience in our lives. You look upon the hearts. Lord, help us to have hearts that are right with you. I know, Lord, that will please you. Also know that external things will fall into place when our hearts were right. Father, search our hearts. There's things that need to be dealt with. I pray, Lord, you show us that and give us hearts to do the hard work of acknowledging those things, confessing, repenting, and seeking you for strength to do just that. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you so much for the cross. I thank you tonight that a book like Lamentations and the problem that it paints out forces us to look for the answer. I thank you tonight. We don't have to look far. The answer is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come, please. stand as we turn to number 393. Standing as we turn to 393, we're saying blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. My 
my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And the last perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.